fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Gates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? Back together this week. Uh, Chris was uh, with uh, our guest last week, did an excellent job. Wish I could have been there, but uh, other circumstances took hold, so I was unable to make it. But we really hope you guys enjoyed listening to that one. I know that I did, and it gave a a lot of great information and uh, shooting Hot tub bucks is is always a funny thing to talk about. <laughs> Dude, Corey is a phenomenal guy. I'm pretty excited to work with him, uh, not only in helping promote each other and everything, but um, learning some of his tips and tricks and editing and then uh, saddle hunting and um, just hooking up and having some fun, man. Real cool guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we went we went from kind of talking about spring stuff. Then we went back to deer Then we went back to talking about spring stuff. Then we went back to talking to Corey about deer and kind of fishing. Yep. Um, but as we record this, we are a little over a month away from thunder in the Hills and <sighs> thunder chickens, all, all the, all the wonderfulness that is spring. So, we thought that we would talk to you guys today about springtime. I know we've done this in the past, but we're going to do something a little bit different. I feel like that we haven't really done before, which is we're going to uh, go in specifically on a few things uh, with turkeys. And we're going to cover some fishing today with panfish because <clears throat> realistically, uh, there's a lot of opportunity in the spring for a lot of different panfish. I know that everyone, you know, the, 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 the word is in, in Kentucky is uh, when the red buds are blooming, the turkeys are gobbling and the crappie are biting it's springtime, but also there's uh, the white bass are running the bluegill are biting and all those are just as good as eating as crappie in, in a lot of ways hell of a lot more work on a bluegill to get some meat off of it but at the same time there's ways to cook that kind of stuff to make it better so with turkeys though uh we figured we'd go over a few things just kind of rudimentary wise with calling and attempt to do some calling i'm guessing on here so uh, <laughs> I'm gonna crazy. let you take care of that because I got a sleeping baby upstairs and I sound like a dog being choked to death with my mouth call. So, <laughs> so we thought we'd cover um, two of the pretty, I would say, the most common ones: a box call and a mouth call. Mouth mouth call, in my mind, is is pretty popular. Um, it's probably like the the most popular out of everything just because it's easy to carry and you can carry a lot of them with a little bit of space. But um, just to kind of catch everybody up, like I said, uh, it's March. So I think I said this is the end of the last podcast that I was on. It's the new wildlife year. So if you haven't already, it's important. Go out there, buy your new license uh, licenses, fishing, hunting, your tags are going to need to be bought and all that kind of stuff. And it looks like, and Chris, you can probably speak more to this because I didn't have the issue necessarily last year. Um, there's not going to be all these weird COVID restrictions when it comes to hunting turkeys. Uh, that was 
one of the biggest nightmares come true that you never even knew about. And yep. I mean, you never in a million years think I'd better buy my license early in case they just shut down all the borders and don't let you, you know, go across state lines to Turkey mm-hmm. on or what. And it's like, dude, we had, so I had plans to go to Florida to hunt with a guy on some primo public mm-hmm. um, who For Osceola's he, Osceola's and he, he invited me down. Um, I had met him at uh, an archery shoot down there in Florida and he, uh, he killed an inch and a half spurred Osceola bird on opening day. And that, I mean, that, probably would have been the bird i would have killed yeah Um, so that was rough we were supposed to go to tennessee Mm -hmm. we were supposed to do kentucky which we still got to go to kentucky our boy rick here lives down there and uh we got to take him out and um kind of explore some new public together and um pick some morels and call to a bunch of birds which was a blast uh and then ohio was really good to me i know a lot of people struggled but um i'm fortunate enough to have a couple of farms that are decent and i just was able to strike gold last year so uh but we've got man i I just i still can't get over what could have been as far as memories and film and all that so it was tough but i highly recommend from now on get your tags early yep yep and it's uh it's important because stuff i mean at least this year's a little bit different but if if last year has taught us anything it's to expect the unexpected with with hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff and how how things get regulated and uh moving forward but you know realistically you're coming down to hunt kentucky uh opening weekend i believe right yes sir uh, unless little baby Cade comes early, um, I will be down there opening weekend. And then, uh, you know, depending on what happens, I'll probably, um, shoot down there here and there, um, during that week. Cause mm-hmm. basically it's about a week, 10 days from the opener that he's due. And oh, she man. normally, she's gone. Let's see. She has gone early she is so whatever day she's due the friday before that day she gives birth so wonderful (laughs) thinking that i'm going to be in the hospital for the ohio opener but who knows i don't really care i'll i'm still gonna have fun we're gonna call birds and have a blast Cade, if you can hear this inside your mother's womb right now stay put (laughs) for for after the first weekend of kentucky at least stay put mine kind (laughs) yeah so so there's you know we've covered a bunch of different things we've covered run and gun we've covered uh blind sitting we've covered um just the amount of turkeys that are in certain areas we've covered public birds we've covered private birds but i really wanted to kind of focus in a little bit more on how we hunt turkeys which is a run and gun style but i wanted to kind of curtail it to the fact of 
there's a lot of guys this year I would imagine that are going to do go and do out of state hunts. Uh, Jacob Emery, who we had on the podcast, uh, that was early January, late December, something like that. Uh, he is, I mean, he's already uh, looking at Mississippi, Arkansas, a bunch of different places. And I have a feeling a lot of guys and gals are going to be going to a lot of places that they couldn't get into last year or just didn't go because of the uncertainty of everything. And it's going to be behoove you to scout. So that's where I really want to start at, uh, especially coming from someone who uh, does do out-of-state hunting more than I do. My out-of-state hunting basically is Ohio. And, uh, you know, the years that I've hunted turkey in Ohio, uh, the farm that I used to hunt is now public ground. But, um, you know, it was pretty much you walk and you call and you walk and you call. And that was always late-season turkey. And it was, uh, uh, you know, different from the first couple weeks. So, Chris, you know, if you could kind of impart from your standpoint, how do you typically go and when do you typically go to scout for birds? Because I, ha- I have an answer, but I want I want to hear your answer first. So it's really, for me, it's, it's very dependent on, do I know the ground? So, you know, we've gone back and forth over this a million times, um, in our threads and stuff. And, um, so if I have a farm that I know, uh, I know the ground very well and, uh, what was planted there the previous year and so on and so forth. I understand the food sources, the roosting areas, all that. There's really no need for me to go put boots to ground unless I can't see it from the road. Now, the majority of the farmland places that I have, I can literally watch them from the road and just see if birds are coming out there and strutting at different periods of the morning, evening, whatever. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a low impact Turkey scouter. I like to listen. I refuse to call at all. Um, because I don't, I not only want to keep my location secret, I don't Mm -hmm. want them to feel like they're being pressured or hunted or anything. I also don't want to go out there with a locator call or a turkey call, especially, and start making noises and make them make them gobble. I don't want to make them gobble. I want to right. see what they're doing naturally. Cause as anybody who Turkey hunts knows some years, they gobble their butts off, man. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with age class, the age structure and everything of uh, that particular piece of property. But um, <clears throat> I, I just, I don't want, to do that you know i i want everything right. to be as natural as possible um you know some years they gobble a lot some they don't i want to know what to expect mm-hmm. as as well as i can so what i like to do is if i've got a place that i know and i can watch from the road or the house that i park at or whatever if i can watch or listen from a distance mm-hmm. i'm going to do that the the whole calling the bird off the roost thing that's really cool. You know what's really cool? 
killing the bird almost guaranteed (laughs) sitting in a spot because anybody who hunts birds knows that birds are going to be where they want to be and they want to be there very consistently they're actually way easier to pattern in my opinion than a deer are you going to pattern them to a trail no no i can pattern them to a ridge top at 9 30 every morning where he goes to the top of this ridge top just to strut back and forth and gobble in the same 30 yard area yes exactly or even 60 yard area Mm -hmm. if i sit in the middle of that well guess what he's all i gotta do is be all i have to do is have a general understanding of which direction that bird's coming from and then i can take my small little stake blind which you guys will see in uh, episode one yep um it covers your legs and most of your body, but you're not hauling a damn house with you and chairs and right. all that. So I'm going to have my decoys positioned right. And I probably won't say a whole lot when I'm in there. I'll let him show up. I'll make a few noises here and there, but I'm going to let him do everything. Um, that's that's an ambush style more than a run and gun, though, if I'm mm-hmm. being honest. To me, that's not technically a, a run and gun style. So... No, no, not at all. You know, I, that's why I said it's kind of a mo- it's more of a modified running gun with what we what, what with yeah. what we did last year. Um, when and you to be honest, man, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you. No, off. go ahead. I just I want to make sure I get this thought out. Um, you you hit on our style, and I would like to say that our style is killing turkeys, whether yes. it's <laughs> whether it's on the ground, no blind, stake blind, big blind. Uh, Anything I have to do to be successful, that's what I'm going to do within legal means, as uh, right. you know, obviously. But um, I, I will hunt with a bow. I'll hunt with a gun. It's all fun to me. Um, I'm not going to feel like less of a man <clears throat> if I shoot a turkey in the face with a gun. Right. I feel just the same amount of awesome now. If I succeed in doing what I want to do this year and kill one with a longbow from like, 10 steps that's going to add a little bit (laughs) that's going to be a little bit of badassery there that that that's going to be one of those things that if that happens i I don't even know what i'm going to think like i i I, I don't so are you going to be are you going to be using the one that will has yes so my plan is to do a little bit of scouting. I have mm-hmm. a couple of private places that I'll that I'll do this because it's going to be a play. I'm not going to go out with a longbow and do what I'm doing in a place where somebody's going to show up a half yeah. hour after daylight. I'll lose my freaking mind. So my plan is to get a large stump or a large down tree mm-hmm. and just put a little brush in there and get behind it and then just on the other side of that to where i can see right pretty decently i'm gonna have my dsd jake strutter with some string and moving back and forth and call and all that mm-hmm. and i want the gopro on the opposite side of the jake looking back at the jake towards me oh man so so that way it gets me <clears throat> creeping up leaning up over top of the log and coming to full draw with a longbow like rambo coming out of the water some, some like last of the mohicans 
type so, stuff. So you say you said that. So I'm thinking of this. Uh, gosh, I don't even know. It was NWTF's um, print of the year. And my parents have it. I, it's ha- it's hanging in their living room, I think. Either in a dining room. It is these two Mohawk Indians with longbows peering over a like a, a downed tree at two gobblers strutting. Mm. And I mean, it's such a cool photo. I Pretty mean, sure I've fo- seen it. A photo. Yeah. I mean, painting. I mean, it, it's, but like, if, if you could, if you could get one with a longbow, I mean, that's saying something like that. That is, I think it'd be cool. That, that, that is, that is a, a big accomplishment. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to knock anybody for doing whatever they want. I mean, personally, I'm a, I'm a pure, shotgun hunter when it comes to turkey i've never tried with a crossbow i may try this year with uh with the uh, property that i have across the road from my house yep um there's there was enough birds over there where i feel like that there's you know even if there's a jake or a small gobbler i i'd like to try it but um you know my my track record with uh turkeys just in general is that I want to make sure that I'm proficient with a gun before I even attempt anything with a bow, because there's a lot of birds that go off in the woods injured by arrows every year. And mm-hmm. given they, they, they go, they go in their coyote meat at that point, And that's all good, great and grand or owl meat. Cause that's the number one predator. But, you know, reality being is that that would be such a sweet, sweet memory if, if you're able to uh, able to get that so hope hopefully and that that longbow i mean good lord i don't even know because that was my that was my dad's longbow i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure at one point yeah he and killed uh, that little deer in uh west virginia west virginia I say, with he kill like a little doe or a little buck or something killed down a little there. doe or a little buck with and it it and was like trophy central yep you know <laughs> and and to be honest you know i'm super honored that it's even in my house let alone that i'm allowed to hunt with it so yeah. um i feel like well remember I we can get his wanna... 10 gauge too if you want to hunt with that because every ammo you. store has 10 gauges <laughs> right nobody wants to buy that stuff nobody right? wants to buy that um i uh yeah i i want to do that i mean and i feel like you know hopefully i'm not overstepping my bounds with people but um and that you know don't take this the wrong way but i feel like sometimes when people kill like a big deer big turkeys or whatever they get bored you know they want a bigger challenge and i feel like that's why they go to that trad archery stuff but for me honestly it's literally about trying to not only overcome a huge challenge but to produce some really really cool footage Mm -hmm. and tell a really cool story with the history of that bow man that'd be i mean that'd be awesome and and you know realistically you look at guys like aaron snyder who one of my faves i mean the, the guy very much said he's like i stopped shooting a compound bow because it he goes it was just not as much of something i wanted to do so i went to recurve and then he goes and then i got really good with recurve and he, he said, I can, you know, I've killed plenty of animals with it. I'm looking at what else I can start doing now. And yep. it, it, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that as a hunter, you 
tend to want to go to that next thing. And I think that's with a lot of different things too. Like when you get mm-hmm. to a certain point with something, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're still sharpening skills in other areas. So you'll see a lot of guys who will pistol hunt for deer, or they will, instead of using a long range rifle, um, they will use a slug gun in, you know, down here. Cause they want to get closer than 300 yards. Um, I think I watched a show one time where the guy was like his life's dream after he'd killed like two or three bighorns already. Um, And he got within like 90 yards of one and shot one with a muzzleloader. So, I mean, there's, there's always that idea that you keep pushing and you keep getting better with this kind of stuff. So, it's important to kind of remember that as, as you move forward with life and with your hunting career, because you're not going to go out and you're not going to kill the biggest gobbler of your life. You, well, you might, I don't know, but more than likely not, you're not going to go out and kill the biggest gobbler of your life on your first hunting trip. You're going to do it, you know, later on in life. And, you know, you get good at killing big gobblers by, killing small gobblers or killing jakes and it's just you know in practice 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 mm-hmm. practice so you want to make sure you're doing all that kind of stuff so it's yeah. it's important you know what whatever um uh what we, we we've had this discussion on here with multiple guests it's like you get good by killing a bunch like you just do like yeah you, yeah you get, you get good by killing a bunch and you have to look at it that way is that it's wonderful if you can kill a big buck you know everyone's got a target buck every year they just do and or everyone's got like birds that they see and like that's that you know the double bearded you know 10 each one's 10 inches like yeah but there's also a bird that you have coming in every day at 9 30 in the morning off the roost at this exact same spot and you've mm-hmm. only seen that bird once what's important do you want it in the freezer or are you looking for you know something to mount on a wall and i think that that is a very important distinction to make before you go out this turkey season is decide what you want and try and get it well i think so again not going to knock anybody but i think one of the reasons that turkey hunting is so appealing is because there's not a worry of weight inches Mm -hmm. mass it's just fun you communicate with an animal it communicates back generally and you are matching wits with it. And if it shows up and it's got a seven inch beard and he's gobbling and strutting, he's screwed. Yep. And if he's got a 14 inch beard and he's strutting and gobbling, he's screwed. And if he shows up quiet and he's got a six inch beard and you know, a full fan, he's screwed. And for some Mm -hmm. people, if it's a Jake, I mean, it's, there's no pressure to be better than somebody or something with, turkeys there's no pressure uh even though some people are trying to force it but you know if you take a crossbow or a gun or whatever it's just fun and to me um which is one of the reasons why i'm taking the longbow is it's one of those things where you're getting so close to what our ancestors did because mm-hmm. the, the wild turkey especially for um you know the people that came over on the Mayflower and everything like that was a very, very huge food source for them. They ate a lot of turkeys and 
Uh, these guys were hunting with black powder and, uh, you know, the, the flint lock and match lock mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And probably some of them had bows and spears. I mean, let's face it. That's one of the reasons that people like this kind of stuff and like hunting with trad gear on the ground or whatever is because they're getting back to our roots, our primal roots that we have. So, um, yeah, I, I would say if you're going to try to like bow kill a state record Turkey, probably got a lot of time and money well going yeah on. <laughs> so, well, and, so even something to add on to that is like you bring up the state record thing i i find this very funny so the guy who killed the state record in kentucky the seven bearded bird um he wasn't even turkey hunting he oh. was he, <laughs> he was deer hunting in the fall he had a turkey tag on a sportsman's license. It was turkey season. And this gobbler walks in front of him. He goes, man, that's a big bird. And he shoots it and goes over and gets it. And then like starts looking at it. He's like, oh, my gosh, he goes, this is a huge bird. Right. So he registers it with the NWTF and they're they like kind of look at him. And they're like, you know, this is. This is the new state record for Kentucky. He's like, oh, man, I was out deer hunting. I didn't even think anything of it. <laughs> so, you know, the opportunity can strike at any time, but don't go out expecting like you're going to kill a limb hanger every time. Go out and do, you know, what makes you happy this turkey season. I, I always look at like spring turkey is like this time. It's kind of like the like everything everything's turning over everything's getting new everything's getting fresh and it's like the the new hunting year starts and you get the opportunity to just reset and just go do like the first thing that is just like really fun like Mm -hmm. in in my eyes and and this is why i love turkey hunting so much is it forces you in a lot of cases to go get outside, go figure stuff out. And you can go out and walk and walk and walk and you can call and you don't even have to see a bird. I don't have to see a bird to have a good day. It's not like if I go deer hunting and my wife says, did you see a deer? I'm like, no, she goes, it's like, Oh, okay. And it's kind of like, it's kind of disappointing. If I go out and get a, if I go out and she says, well, did you see any turkeys? She's like, I'm like, no. And she's okay. Not a big deal. But you know, in the fall when, you know, you, you're putting a larger, I guess, animal in the freezer, it it carries a little bit more weight. Mm -hmm. So we just, you, you brought up your scouting part because I asked you about it. Um, So, when I think of scouting, I think of scouting in two different ways. I think of scouting um, the previous season and I think of scouting right before the season. So I found a real great spot. Um, muzzleloader hunting in the fall this past year. And I, I, uh, I mean, you can't, can't hunt with a muzzleloading rifle for Turkey in Kentucky. It was Turkey season, but I couldn't hunt with it. But I found an area, it was full of scratches. It was full of like, they've been pecking up acorns all day long on the side of this hill. Like you could just tell like it was Turkey central. So it's important to start that kind of stuff. If you like, if you have a fall Turkey season, great. If you don't, 
look for that kind of stuff when you're out deer hunting the year before, because nine times out of 10, those birds will still be running through there unless something severe happens. Like they flock up and that kind of stuff. But if you're near ridge tops and, and things like that, those birds are going to be somewhere near there. Mm-hmm. In spring though, I, I approach it and you know, you and I have discussed this and uh, we've talked about pressure. Um, I like for me, I like to go, I get a thermos of coffee. There's a video of us. I think when we went to the one yeah. uh, WMA, mm-hmm. I pack a thermos of coffee. I drive, we drive out. I throw it in my backpack. I ha- I don't have a call on me. I go out and I just, I hike in to where I think I, I, I typically like to go to a ridge top um, or at the bottom of a ridge. Um, so I don't, I, I don't hurt these birds. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want I don't want to pressure them or whatever. Um, birds are going to gobble. They just are. They're, I mean, it, it's, it's spring and they're just like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Like that's all, that's all they're telling you. Hey, everybody, <laughs> everybody look at me. <laughs> I'll never forget that dude. That was a fun morning. And we were just sort of coming into the whole pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know how to treat anything. And yep, we got together and, Dude, that was so much fun, and there were there were an absolute crap ton of birds up on that hill. Tons of birds, tons um, of birds, and and to kind of sort of go with what I was saying, you know, what I spoke of earlier as far as scouting, that's my method. Mm-hmm. If I know the place, you yeah. know, if if it's a forty or fifty or sixty whatever acre track that I generally have, I don't. I don't have like a hundred or hundreds of acres. So you can go sit in the driveway and listen and figure things out. But Mm -hmm. uh, what Rick touched on, you know, if you're going to be hitting a big tract of public land or you're fortunate enough to have a really good size farm, man, scratched up leaves. Yeah. Shoot. That's like, that is, that's your food source. And that's, and who likes to eat the ladies and where the ladies are. That, I mean, they go, they breed in the morning, mm-hmm. the ladies go off to eat and then they go nest and lay an egg and sit on the nest for a bit. And then what do they do? They come back out and eat some more. And that's where those gobblers go close to the nesting spots. Mm-hmm. And that's why you always see them in those meadows and stuff and cut cornfields near where there's a bunch of brush and all that, where the hens can come in and out. And um, so that is one of the things that I, definitely look at is you know it's super basic it sounds so dumb but when you start finding a bunch of turkey tracks and a bunch of scratched up you know uh old corn stalks in a cut cornfield or yep. scratched up leaves i mean that's that's your gold well yeah a- absolutely it is and it's important to recognize that kind of stuff too because y- you know as i get older like getting out there at first light and hearing those birds gobble is the greatest thing on the face of the earth. I I just, I just think it's one of the coolest things you can do. I've never heard an elk bugle. So maybe one day I'll, I'll just say that instead. But like, Oh man, that that's so much better. But like, as I get older, I also have the sense of if you do your proper scouting, you can go out at 10 AM and kill a bird. Um, two years ago, I walked in on a track of public that I had scouted, um, probably like if, if I'm, I'm thinking timelines, probably 
basically two weeks from now, I walked out in the middle of a field and I just, I stood there and hills lit up all around me. So I'm like, okay, there's, there's birds here. Didn't, I didn't go into the woods, nothing like that. Um, I had a morning off of work. So I went and dropped my kids off at their daycare. I drove down to this track. I walked in. Guy had already killed a bird out of one of the fields. I think it was at like 9 a.m. And he's like, oh, I think I got them all. I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk all the way back to where I knew these birds were, had roosted. I gave two yelps on a mouth call, and this gobbler lit up 50 yards from me. Just absolutely lit up. And this is at 1030, uh, almost 11 o'clock. The thing is, people need to remember is that they're not deer. They're not going to go bed down, and they're not going to, like, you know, just like sleep for part of the day. They're going to be out in fields bugging. They're going to be running, running up and down. If they haven't hen up yet, they're going to chase down another hen. And if you hit right in that right window, that bird that didn't get hen up is going to be looking for you when you're making those calls in the morning. And it's mm-hmm. important to recognize that kind of stuff. So proper scouting in, in, in terms of that kind of stuff is huge uh, in preseason scouting, not, Pre-season scouting, yeah. And and I'll say this much, and this is sort of in the last probably three years, it's kind of taken my, we'll call it success. I'm not mm-hmm. like some accomplished turkey hunter or anything, <laughs> but filling tags on nice birds, um, it has helped me tremendously. So understanding the age structure of the male birds in your area will help you understand what kind of setup you want. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if you go out there and scout, you know, from 800 yards away with your binos and you see one gobbler that is just, he's the boss bird. He's the boss Tom and nobody goes around him. Nobody messes with him. Dude, a, Jake Strutter, something with a little movement, he will, I'll bet you could reap that bird too. Like that's the kind of bird that is going to be super aggressive. The biggest freaking oldest birds tend to be the most aggressive. Now here is where I will spin that. If you had a mega hatch the -hmm. year before and you have groups of five six seven ten jakes we had that a around. few years back where they were running around beating the living tar out of gobblers like you, you'd see like a group of jakes like beat the living crap out of a gobbler two years ago yeah you you, you were hard pressed to get a mature bird to come into a field but those jakes those jakes were there every time yep and and when you heard a mature bird you always knew it because it was the lousiest, softest, most <laughs> pathetic gobble you've ever heard because he's just flat out tired of getting beat up, but he yep. wants to make lovings to the hands. So um, <laughs> understanding that kind of stuff really helps you. Cause for instance, if I have a super weary bigger bird or a few of them or whatever that are just getting pounded by jakes all the time i am going to try to set up as close to them as i can all of my calling is going to be done as if i'm on highly pressured public land it's going to be soft Mm 
so that the Jakes can't hear me. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was set up on a bird within about 75 yards of him while he was gobbling on the roost. And those Jakes came right down the fence row. Oh, man. Eight yards from us. And I literally lunged at them to get them to run away. And the bird gobbled a couple more times. They came right back. I mean, I could have bow killed these things <laughs> easily. And of course, now, you know, I've got a long bow and, you know, maybe settle for a Jake or something mm-hmm, this year mm-hmm. because of that. And of course, that won't happen at all. But so anyways, you know, not to ramble too much, but understanding age uh, structure and pressure on a property. But, you know, that age structure will really help you with your setup tremendously. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You I mean it's it's uh it's very much knowing knowing the area, knowing the territory. It's it's a lot like if you go fishing, you want to match the hatch. You want to match the idea of what's going on on that property in order to to help you there. So, yep. Um so uh with with regards to that, um as we've said, like our, we're we're in the business of, you know, killing turkeys, and that that's you know our modified running gun or whatever you want to call it. We we do a, a couple different things. So one of one of the things is is that um, there's you know traditionally I like up really up until last year I I did the majority of my turkey hunting by myself, um, other than if I went on a hunt with my dad. Um, I, I would typically do all my calling myself, um, and anything along those lines. So, you know, last year was the first time where we able to drop back calling, where we able to, you know, have multiple people like kind of looking for a bird and that kind of stuff. So that's an easy part, but it's also a tough part because one of the best parts about turkey hunting is calling. Um, which I, I feel like we need to touch on. And there's, you know, a few different things. I don't, I'm like, I've got a box call with me right now and I got a mouth call. Uh, I don't have my pot call it's stored away right now, but I grab I grabbed the, what is essentially a box call. Um, it's a little bit of a different, uh, shape and size of one. It's not your traditional box call. Um, but I feel like it's important for people to kind of understand, cadence i feel like it's important for uh people to understand that you don't have to just like rip 50 yelps in a row or cackles or whatever and everybody's got different things like if you go online and you listen to like the world turkey calling championships or things like that um there's some of those guys that will say like i will yelp 80 times in a row because I want to I want to make every hen in that area so angry that they come in on me. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in an area that you can do that, wonderful. If you're on public ground um, and most private farms, that ain't going to work. Right. Um, you know, one of one of the best pieces of advice that someone gave to me is that if you hear a hen, um, you want to match her cadence because what it's going to do is she's going to get so frustrated she is going to come towards you and more than likely there's going to be a gobbler there with her and the biggest the biggest thing when you get into calling is not doing it too often so um i'm going to go ahead and just try this right now if this doesn't if it doesn't sound good we're just going to go ahead and edit it out sound good sounds good okay so um 
I use a Woodhaven call. I, I like them. Uh-huh. Uh, um, hold it up. It's, it's, uh, oh, that's tough to. I think, tough I think it, to see. Yeah, it's split it's kind of I think split V. So typically, um, when when you well, I'll, I'll kind of go over how I do this. Um, when the birds are on the roost, you want to do real soft calling. You don't want to do like loud yelps uh, or anything like that. You you want to do kind of soft calls. So um, this is going to be awkward. This is the first time I've ever tried to do this, I think, really in front of anybody. So no. <laughs> you better practice because I need a caller. That'll work. So typically, yeah. So typically, um, I'll try to do softer than that. What that signifies is that you know it'll it'll get bird shock gobbling, whatever. Um, you know, I, I'll start with that versus um, some guys will use like a locator when I've got birds on the roost calls and the you know the barred owl calls and that kind of stuff. I just don't feel like like. You you've got you've got a good bard owl call just with your voice. Um, I I don't even know what the hell my bard owl call is. Uh, you I, find it and give it to me because it's sweet. <laughs> I remember you bringing that thing in the truck and oh yeah, I pick that thing up and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I got I got to find that sucker. It may still be stuck in my turkey vest, but um, like it, that that's great on certain certain areas, but on most public places that i hunt uh for turkeys every guy's walking around with a barred alcohol yeah. like e- e- every dude's walking around those birds have heard hoot owls um pileated woodpeckers all that kind of stuff for weeks leading up to the season you you want to be able to to beat them to the punch and a lot of guys will go in opening morning uh you know parking lot four o'clock in their spot four thirty. And they'll blow hoot out calls like a half hour before daybreak. And those birds will respond. And then you've got to figure out how the heck you're going to get away from those guys. Because what's going to end up happening is that those birds are going to run as far as possible away from them. So what you're, what you're eventually going to try to end up doing there is your, those birds are going to fly down. And I think something like there's like an 11% chance, like they're even going to, uh, you know, fly down near you. So most, most birds that you're going to see aren't going to fly down near you. So, which means you got to call those birds in. So, um, when the birds fly down, uh, I don't like to go into like this, you know, you hear Luke, Luke's got a real good one. Pierce has got excellent calling skills, but the majority of what I'll do is typically just something along these lines. I'll do that a couple times, just get a little bit louder with being on the ground. Um, if I'm on the ground, I'll make some noise, hands through leaves, that kind of stuff. I feel like that's one of those things where you can just add like a little bit of thing, like Chris was talking about with uh, adding a little bit of movement. And it can be a really great thing moving uh, can, that can get a bird in closer to you. Now, I don't, I don't have to call. Well, yeah. <laughs> If they can see you, if they can mm-hmm. see your decoy and your decoy's moving in yeah. a natural way, 
It's, oh, they're they're gonna fly down and they're gonna like if it's, if it's a gobbler or a, a dumb Jake, um, they're gonna come over and try to attack it. Yep. So. Um. Yeah. That's oh, movement in any decoy is something that I mean it it makes it lifelike for whatever reason. These animals are like so stupid but so smart and. They can pick out a decoy, especially farmland birds. I can take the crappiest, oh, yeah. crappiest decoys ever into the woods, like big timber, and birds walk right up to them and flog them and all that. Farmland mm-hmm. birds, they'll step out 400 yards, 300 yards away and just stare at them and not care at all. It's like, God, you annoy me. But now that I got that, Jake Strutter, dude, it's Man, that, that that thing is just a little bit of moving with it, too. And j- just so everyone's aware, not that I'm knocking Cabela's or Bass Pro or anybody like that. You don't need to pay seventy five dollars for a battery operated movement device to shove up the um, hole underneath of your turkey decoy. You can add it with just some fishing Fishing line line and a nail and it'll it works just the same as as long as you have the ability to do that so i actually think it's better i i I agree because i'll say this much it's tough robotically to get something to move naturally and to do exactly what you want on cue um i had really good success with good birds last year and I attribute that, you know, in large part to that, that decoy, decoy and being yeah. able, not just the decoy, but being able to move that decoy in a specific way uh, while I'm reading the bird's body language in it. Y'all will see it on video. It's yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, typically, like if, if I hear, uh, you know, you, you, well, one, going back to the decoy thing for a moment. Movement is is a huge thing. So any way that you can create movement on a decoy is going to be huge. Um, in terms of calling and that kind of stuff, everything I'm doing right now is with a mouth call. I think I did, I said that, but um, you know, you you do want to add in like birds getting excited and that kind of stuff because it does pique their attention. So you do want to add in cackles. You do want to you know add in cuts and all that kind of stuff. So. You know, I'm again gonna try this out. <laughs> you know, little things like that, and again, it's not a little thing. I'm sure most guys who use a mouth call can do all those type of things, but for anybody starting out, those are very simple things. Go online, look up HS Strut. Go online, look up H and uh, not H and K. That's a gun company. Um, <laughs> Night and Hail. <laughs> you can look them up too. Uh, they're not going to probably do a whole lot for turkeys. Um, Night and Hail calls. Like, there's a lot of different places. Primos that you can look up that kind of stuff. So that's a mouth call. So you don't have to be a good caller a lot of times though to get a bird to come in. Um, Chris, I'm sure you've ran into this before, but there's plenty of hens that I've heard that sound like a five-year-old with a rusty old box call 
on top of a ridge and you're like, is that somebody or is that a bird? And then you find out too late and it's a bird. So I never think it's a bird. I always think <laughs> that it's some rum dum walking around. And then I'm like, there was one time where me and my father-in-law were hunting together. Uh-huh. It was opening day. And, and I hear this bird and not only does it sound bad, she won't shut up. And I'm like, no way that that's a bird. That is a person. I'll be danged if that hen did not come right past us, just run in her mouth. And I thought, you know, thinking back now, I'm like, I should have ran my mouth right back. And that gobbler would have come in, but he, that was a weird year, man. (laughs) Sometimes them birds, but there again, I didn't have good decoys. Now those birds would, I challenge anybody to get a farmland bird that yeah. they can't kill. Call me. We'll kill it. <laughs> You'll kill that bird. We'll kill that sucker. <laughs> so I, the, it, it, it's amazing to me, like the, the reality that those decoys look like now. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 they, they look, they look, they look life. Like, I mean, I think we talked about this a few, few, um, weeks back where it's like the only thing that's going to be better is if you stuff an actual bird and you throw it out there. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, they do that in Texas for sandhill cranes. I don't know why they wouldn't do it for turkeys up here. Oh, they I, do. Well, well, no, I'm trying to think about it. So there's a meat eater episode where it's a biologist in either Georgia or Florida, Robert Abernathy, that's his name. Um, he killed a bird and took every feather off of it and glued it back on a decoy a decoy form and he says 32 birds have seen this decoy and all of them have been in my freezer Jeezel. yeah i believe it i've i've talked to people that hunt and film and all that and they prefer them there's actually a guy i can't remember his name but he's got a place called the turkey roost and it's mm-hmm. probably the best known turkey taxidermy place in america but with that being said he'll make turkey decoys and they're not they're mounted birds, but yeah. they're not like, uh, you know, pristine, perfect turkey mounts. Right. But God, dude, they, they really, they get the job. They really done. bring all. Oh, they bring them in. Yeah. So the the other type of call that is typically used by somebody starting out, I feel like, is a box call. Um, yeah, you know, I think everybody at some point has had one, and there there's tons of different ones. So. You know, typically, I think I still got my original Quaker boy over in my call box right now. But um, typically what that does is if you're holding it upright, it's it's a paddle with a box uh, underneath it that's hollow. And you'll scrape the sides of the the side of the box with the paddle and it makes a yelp noise. Um, One size tip, one side typically mimics a gobbler. Another side typically mimics a hen. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to hold it. Some guys will hold them vertically. Some guys will hold them horizontally, whatever. As I was showing Chris earlier, I've got a like kind of like a modified box call. And typically, and th- this one is like a $10 one. It's made by a guy, um, B Perkins. If you want the number, 
It's 859-386-1382. It's on the outside of the box call. This guy makes them for 10 bucks. Um, and it's it's a hell of a little call. And all you do is with this is it's a great small call because you can put it in between your legs um when you're sitting there and just That sounds terrible, but that's called in birds. Um, you can be a bad caller up until a point, but what I would encourage everybody to do is I encourage uh, most people to do during this time of year is get out, practice your calling in your car on the way to work. If you're sitting there waiting for your kids to get off from, you know, basketball practice, whatever, just go ahead and start trying it. You know, it, it's an important part of getting out there and doing this kind of stuff. So, um, I'm excited. I, I I can't wait. I cannot wait for turkeys to start gobbling. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about something that I don't think a lot of people look forward to during turkey season. And that is the exercise. Yes. Um, yes. It is a, di- it's literally like playing a game, basketball, whatever. Nobody really enjoys the training beforehand, but when you're out there and you hear a bird yep, and, and you just take off running, it's just fun. Um, and it's so neat too. Cause like when Pierce and Luke and I hunted it, it was literally like I was telling you, we were like three players out of gears of war roll running through the woods <laughs> freaking on our way to blast some berserkers dude so um you know everybody reacts exactly mm-hmm. the same and it's just really cool um i'm i'm looking forward to it uh but you know another thing that mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to is dropping some slip bobbers over some brush Yes. With some uh, red worms or minnows or little, uh, in fact, I got a pack in front of me right now, the shocker baits, shad yes. jigs or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty excited to, to catch some bluegill and crappie and white bass. We should hit up the place we, that we, we both need to know. Do, yeah, we, to we need to do the white bass run. Yeah. Badly. I mean, th- so this this is a time of year, and I, th- I think we we've discussed this before, where it's like, um, in in Ohio, it's a little bit different because you can only hunt till noon, like the first week, right? Uh, yeah, the first week. It used to be all season, then it was the first two weeks, and now it's the first week. I look for the next couple of years, especially if our population goes up a little bit, which, in my opinion. It's going to be up next year mm-hmm. as long as we don't have a crazy wet spring yeah. because we're supposed to have a damn good uh, cicada hatch yeah. this year. The 17-year cicadas are supposed yep. to be out. Brood X. And when you have that, you have – obviously, it's weather-dependent too, but you generally have a ridiculous turkey population. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's great to see that. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be great. So uh, with fishing in the springtime though, <clears throat> like you, you're usually able to go at least the way I thought of it, like always growing up was 
you could hunt turkeys in the morning. If you could stay awake long enough, you could go fish crappie in the afternoon, oh. um, which which is awesome. Um, in Kentucky, we're allowed to hunt all day, um, you know, dusk to dawn, half hour before dusk, half hour, or half hour before dawn, half hour after dusk. Um, check your state regs is what I'm saying. But um, panfish are one of my favorite things to do in the spring just for the fact that it gets people outside if you have kids you can go throw slip bobbers on and you can go fill a cooler of bluegills red ear you know sunfish uh, crappie all that different type of stuff and you will have some amazing table fare uh as as that happens so one thing that I like to push kind of early on is you don't have to wait until it's 65 and sunny every day to go fish for crappie or for panfish. Those uh, get a sunny day in the mid 50s will yield you a decent amount of crappie if you have Dude. a brush pile. Um, whether you want to go drown minnows or I prefer a jig under a bobber, um, if, I, if I'm just looking for quantity versus quality, you can fill a cooler an ungodly quick way in, in doing that. And I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with me on that. Yeah. So getting into crappie fishing about 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and really early spring late winter or even early winter or even early winter uh fishing you learn so much because you start out catching crappie and this is all dependent on how deep and everything your place is but um we're out at uh, mm-hmm. the lake that we won't mention and you're fishing in 15 to 20 feet of water in january when yep. it's cold when we have the weird years like 2012 when it was like 87 degrees in february and yeah. there were kids kids swimming in swimming. the lake and just Bizarre. like weird so you know they were a foot deep then um <laughs> but you, you're catching them in 15 20 22 feet of water and then all of a sudden it goes to 8 to 10 and then all of a sudden you're fishing 18 inches deep Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you can't keep your pole in the water. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool. But um, I, I always noticed right when the water got to that, right around the 50 degree, 52 degree yes. mark, dude, they, you just, you would light them up and it, it was awesome. Water temperature is such a huge, huge part of that where, I mean, you can catch fish anytime of year. You, you really can't. If you want to catch fish in quantity, though, for, you know, filling your freezer, there's no better time than early to mid spring. There just, there just really isn't. You're going to catch bigger fish. It always seems that way because they're, they're the ones that are going to be the more voracious feeders mm-hmm. and they're going to outcompete those smaller fish. They're just they are they're every, every time they're going to outcompete those, those smaller fish. And with panfish, it's one of those things where you can find a school and you can just like walk along the bank and you can 
dip it along like inlets and all that kind of stuff. And you're going to find schools of panfish and, and being able to have that moving forward. So one of the things that's a big difference between uh, like we mentioned three different ones, there's bluegills, there's crappie, there's um, white bass. And uh, you know, all three are very different species. They all, you know, kind of eat differently. You're not going to typically catch bluegills on minnows and that kind of stuff. You're going to want to use wax worms or mealworms or, you know, that kind of stuff. Crappies will eat minnows, but we'll typically eat jigs as well. White bass though, um, I, I feel like they they get a bad rap because they're not <laughs> they're not a hybrid, they're not a striper, and they're not a crappie. Right. right. The, but they are one of the most fun fish to fish for because they put up a really good fight. They're bigger typically um, in in most places that we fish. Typically, they're a little bit bigger than a crappie. And you're going to get a really good white fillet out of those suckers too. And like, don't get me wrong. I love crappie. I really do. But if I could catch a limit of white bass every time I went out, every time, every time. Yeah. They're, they're fun and they give you a little more fight too. Um, But they are, a they are a thicker fillet. You're going to get more and, and you don't, you don't have to have a super big white bass at all to get a good fillet too. I, I, I enjoy white bass, but there again, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, y'all are going to yell at me cause you're trying to make <laughs> me healthy and less fat, but <laughs> you can pretty much take just about any freaking fish, especially white fish mm-hmm. and dip it in egg or uh, excuse me in beer batter and toss it in grease. And it's going to be delicious to me. So, so this is where you and I differ. And I, I was going to bring this up actually. You are a beer batter guy. Yes. You you are a beer batter guy. But I'll try everything. It's just. No, no, I know that. Also understand that I cook for. You cook for like 40 people. or 50 people <laughs> or whatever. And nobody's going to make like a creme de la creme fresh Rick Kate special <laughs> tuna ass melt dip. Like I, I, I don't even know how to do that, let alone, uh, you know, make it to where uh, it's going to be good for that many people. So I'll be honest, like the first time I like, and this is going to be weird. Um, I had never had beer batter. I don't think until I actually came to a fish fry at your house. I'll be very honest about that. Um, really? It, seriously. Um, I had always uh, kind of grown up with you like, uh, I guess it would be a breading uh, where you would mix <clears throat> flour, bread, crumb, flour, bread, crumb, and panko or cornmeal um, you would flour the fish, you'd hit it with egg, like in an egg wash, and then you'd throw it in that, and then you'd, you know, you'd hit it in the deep fryer. Um, I mean, I, each, each has their place. I, I feel like, um, I, I am, I am still like, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's a nostalgia or whatever it is. I still like breading fish. It's such a pain in the ass though. Like, beer beer battering fish is much easier and yes. i and you get a better i feel like you get a better crunch uh on the exterior of it yep. every time absolutely and yep. like i really like that um and i like eating just fish that way but if i like if i'm making like a fish sandwich 
or like I'm making like I want like like leftover fish like the day after a fish fry. I prefer to have it breaded. And like it, it's it's this weird thing in my head and I don't know why that is. Wait, you said <clears throat> when you say breaded, you mean breadcrumb or a panko? Bre- breadcrumb or panko or cornmeal. OK, yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, agree. One thousand percent. And I'll tell you there for a while before you were coming to these to give you an indication of how tough it was. And there were a few less people, but mm-hmm. I would buy, I shouldn't even say this on here. I would buy <laughs> gold fishes, the goldfish crackers, crunch them up and put them through a food processor yep. and dip egg, wash the fish fillets and dip them in that. And that was very time consuming and tedious, but dude, but it's so good. It's, it's so good. So and good. if you wanted to heat it up later that mm-hmm. night or the next day it was good. Yep. So uh, I'll say this much panko dude. that stuff's the truth Yeah. with, I use that on fish and I also use it when I make uh, chicken parm. Oh yeah. Um, it's extremely delicious. Yeah. It so, holds its texture. Oh, it does every time. So people out there listening to this, you have two very, uh, very different ways of doing this and you can modify either one of these ways of doing this and you will have a good fish fry. It's really hard to screw up fried fish. Um, right. I mean, it, it, like you either cook it way too long or you cook it way too short. Guess what? Three, three to five minutes. It, it, it's, it's done. Like, and realistically, that's probably too long in a lot of cases. Just make sure you have the hot grease and that you're doing it the right way. You will be set. Now, I will say this because we do have people like Wisconsin listening to us that are probably like banging their heads against tables. They're like, why don't you just like scale and fry the fish? Well, because we don't do that down here. Uh, like, like I, I, that to me, like that, that's like, that's like a Northern thing where, um, uh, they'll, have you ever seen it like where they just like cut the head off the bluegill? They oh, gut yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And then like you scale oh, yeah. it and then you just fry the whole fish and you like you eat the whole thing, bones and all. Yep. Um, never done it. I plan on doing it this year. I'm I gonna try it. it. Do I, you know I, why I want to do it? Why? My favorite book ever. Which hatchet. Hatchet. <laughs> Dude, the way the way when I read that book in seventh grade and then like 15 more times as an adult. Yeah. Um, I felt how that kid felt and like being a foodie Mm -hmm. and already having an appreciation for wild game. I imagine myself like being starving out in the Canadian wilderness and you get this fish and it's like, you just met God. Like (laughs) you've, you've got this delicious fish and you've, you were able to start your own fire and it just, like the accomplishment in that meal. So I, I kind of want to do it. And I, I want to do it like that. I want to be out on a bros trip or something in the backwoods and mm-hmm. freaking rip the guts out, rinse them out a little bit and let them sit over the fire and crackle and peel oh, it man, off. That'd be great. That'd be great. Oh yeah. But we need, we need, we need to try that. We need to try that at least once. Let's we're going, film we're going to try that. Yeah. Let's just absolutely. go somewhere and catch fish like this weekend and, <laughs> and rip stab their, them and we'll rip their heads off <laughs> and rip their guts out and then just rinse them out and throw them over a fire. Good deal. Good deal. So I did want to cover one more thing and you mentioned it earlier and it spiked uh, my memory. And honestly, I just read an article about it again. Uh, oddly enough, spring also means 
one other thing that is my one of my favorite things when I can't kill a turkey, and that is morels. Oh, yeah. Morels, for those of you who live in the southern half of the country right now, specifically northern Florida, uh, they can and may be coming up within the next two weeks. So the way morels work is um, they move. They, they don't like they're not migrating, but I mean, they they need a specific heat during the day and uh, during the evening. Uh, overnight in order to come up and they take about a week to mature. So a good typical thing to look at when you are hunting morels is afternoons in the seventies, evenings, no lower than 40. When you start seeing those temperatures, start looking near river bottoms, start looking near um, down trees, uh, specifically around sycamores and oaks. Um, we luckily enough enough stumbled into a very bountiful harvest last year. And uh, uh, I think I dehydrated. I mean, I filled two mason jars, so I dehydrated mine. And then I reconstituted them and used them at Christmas. And they were every bit as good as when we picked them in April. Every bit as good. Nice. So, I mean, I, I really encourage people um, this spring, th- this is a good year to do it. If you went out last year and you started getting back out in the wilderness, one new thing you can really try to do is do a little bit of foraging. <clears throat> Make sure you're looking at stuff uh, that you're not eating, like things that are going to kill you, like uh, into the wild. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't get it out fast enough. Um you know, spring is good for fiddleheads, which are small ferns. They're delicious. Like you make salads out of them. Dandelion greens, good stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you can find out in the woods or even in your backyard in the coming months that you can forage and make a really, really kick-ass meal with. So, you know, be aware of that as, as those things are coming on and you'll have that opportunity coming up. So, Heck yeah. 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 We're, uh, we're coming right around the corner and I, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but, um, looking at the weather forecast, man, we're going to have our, I mean, this is a real spring. This is what we have a real spring for the first time. This in a while. is what we want. We don't want to shoot straight to 75 degrees. You want to have an actual spring. And this is the beginning of spring mm-hmm. where, you start off and your highs are in the fifties yep. and when you get to sixties, you're excited and uh, you know, you're going to have the rain and everything. But um, if, if I were to give anybody any advice, just be super patient with all this and learn to adapt with the wind, the rain and the rising and lowering mm-hmm. waters. Yep. And then also with the varying temps, because if you can be successful when things are inconsistent, once they're consistent, you're going to have everything dialed up and ready to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so. Um, I guess that's my closing thought, by the way. Good deal. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that, that that's, that's a good one to close on. I woke up the other morning and I heard birds like, like springtime birds, like making noises. I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's actually 
Like we're out of the dead of winter and the grayness and we're actually moving into sunlight now. So um, I'm pretty pumped. So my concluder is, is this, I know we've mentioned it like the past few times, Um, just thoughts and prayers with the Lagore family. Uh, You know, they laid, they laid officer Lagore to rest, I believe yesterday, um, which would have been March 3rd. Um, he's the officer that passed or that died trying to save, um, two kids who fell through the ice. Um, the young woman who was there, um, died as well. The uh, younger gentleman who was there, uh, did survive. If, if you have the ability, I know that there are charities set up for the family. Um, a lot of money's been raised for them already, but anything helps. The guy, uh, was very well respected through, uh, the um, <clears throat> outdoor and game game worn community. And uh, we just want to give our thoughts and prayers to his family. Cause I think that that's a, uh, you know, a very, very important thing to recognize as we're moving through and into this new year. Without a question. Um, I think you can probably look for us to do some things on yeah. the Facebook page and stuff, um, which by the way, what, um, what do we need? Do we need like a license or anything to do a raffle for him for like a freaking bottle of bourbon and pack of cigars or something? I mean, can we do that legally? And uh, I'm not sure. I think that you can probably figure out ways around it so you don't get zucked. But, um, you know, I think that there's yeah. probably ways that you can get around that kind of stuff. And if nothing else. Yeah, I just um, meant legal. I can le- I can outsmart le- Zuckerberg. <laughs> legally as a business i think that you're allowed to do uh those types of things so um i i I don't see anything wrong with doing anything along those lines at all let's contact some uh breweries and stuff then absolutely uh what do we call distilleries we'll contact some breweries and distilleries and uh hell i'll even contact the place in batavia they're a brewery and a beanery so ah, yeah, we'll, get, yeah. we'll get some coffee. We'll get some, uh, I'm going to get some items together, uh, yeah. talk to some of our sponsors and stuff and see what we can come up with and raise a little coin for that guy's family. Cause that's, that's terrible. Yeah, absolutely I mean, awful. I feel for the guy and poor Gilkey, man. Yeah. That was his buddy. So yeah, it really I, sucks. I mean, it it's it, it's one of those things where it, it happens and uh you know officer gilkey was on here at one point and told us that um there is a higher rate of risk for game wardens uh than any other uh law enforcement profession um uh, they're more likely to be assaulted and uh we yep. have lost is it two or three we almost lost three if i'm not mistaken yeah. Because the guy during the the poaching incident um, last year, too. So, I mean, Ohio's game wardens are are getting hit hard and taking a um, beating, man. Yeah. If if you if you can get out and support them, guys, they they're there for a reason um, and they're there to help help out the community. It's it's just the way it is. So, yeah, I mean, um, I was raised by an Appalachian family. I understand all the uh, ins and outs and the reasons why people don't really take to game wardens mm-hmm. too well, and all that. I, I, I get that. But if you just kind of humble yourself a little bit and understand that 
they're protecting something that you love. If you love it, if you don't love it and you want to, we'll say do things to it. I won't yeah. use the, the word that you hate. <laughs> this is me polishing. This is me polishing everybody. Um, but I mean, if you truly love the resource and uh, you want it protected, that's your best friend. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so anywho, close this so, out. Yeah. Well, I got one more. Um, and it's more of a conservation topic than anything else after I, there we go. Okay. So, um, there are a few really kind of crappy bills coming down the line, um, in, in Congress. Um, if you, uh, don't like a certain, maybe not even Congress, I think it's more state wise. There's the stuff in Wyoming that's kind of going on with the outfitters and things along those lines where if you are a DIY hunter, I would highly encourage you to contact the state legislature over there and tell them that you would like to be able to still spend money on small businesses within their state um, and do it independently of an outfitter. The same in Montana, just to be sure that and then House Bill 127, I believe that it is. It is a gun law that would require um, to have, a, I believe, a mental health evaluation um, before you could buy in, like, uh, buy firearms or things like that. Um, more than likely not going to get to the House floor, but I'd encourage you to call your legislatures and let them know if you uh, don't want that to happen. By all means, uh, make sure that you call them. You know that wasn't introduced by um, the president or anything like that. It was introduced by um, the representative out of Houston, Texas, which I feel like is a very odd thing because it's a it's Texas. But <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it it it's something that creates an impediment to every sportsman from getting into the field. Um, and being able to go out and have fun and, you know, do what we all like to do, which is be in the outdoors. So that being said, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. This has been episode 41, and we have really enjoyed bringing the fire of turkey and panfish to you this evening. So we will talk at you later, guys. Bye. See you. And that will do it for our podcast today. Please remember to subscribe, like, review on all major podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple, Google, TuneIn, CastBox, Spotify, and all other major podcasting platforms. As always, we are available for contact at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. That is theeliteoutdoors, the number one, at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you next time.